Oh, what a great morning, huh? God's good all the time. Well, as we uh, come together and uh, desire to continue our attitude of worship as we open up God's Word, I want to invite you to open up the book of Matthew chapter 19. In Matthew 19, we're going to pick up uh, where we left off last week. Jesus has left the area of the Galilee and he's headed toward Judea, which means he's on his, on his way toward Jerusalem. And uh, as he goes along his way, he continues to do all the things the prophets said he would do. Well, you see, they, they said that he would be a, a healer. Really, there's always been healers or people that have, have had healing crusades or different events like that. But there's never been one like Jesus. Well, you see, Jesus healed everybody who came to him. All of them. Somebody reached out to Jesus for healing. He touched them. They, they were healed. If he healed them, it was done, finished. The prophets told of a time when Messiah would come. This was the sign he would do, no matter all the other things they would talk about. This was one he would do. He would heal. He would heal. He would touch people's lives and change them. My favorite story is Jesus walking into to the city and a mom walking out with her only son in a casket somebody's carrying his body outside to do a burial and they made a mistake they walked past jesus and he reached up and touched the casket that young man came to life and was returned to his mother it's never been anybody like jesus i don't care what the history channel says there's never been anybody like jesus the things he did the works he accomplished and jesus was one who would bring out the the nature of people you'd see what people were really about when they came around him and we'll see that this morning as we look at what the lord has for us it says in in chapter 19 verse 1 now it came to pass when jesus had finished these sayings he departed the galilee came into the region of judea beyond the jordan And great multitudes followed him, and he healed them there. And the Pharisees also came to him, testing him. Well, you see, immediately you you see the heart of the Pharisee. They're just trying to trip him up. How can we mess up Jesus? Let's let's put him between a rock and a hard place. Now, they're going to do this several times. And as we go closer and closer to the time of the crucifixion, it's going to get more and more intense. But they always think they got him. We got him on this one. Because whether he answers A or B, somebody's upset. And we will tear down this popularity. That was the focus of the Pharisees. We need to stop people from following this guy. Not, wow, look at the work he's doing. It's exactly what the prophet said he would do. Look at the lives he's put back together. Look at the effect he's having on people. They couldn't get behind it. Because they were wrapped up in their tradition. It's got to be this way. If it's not this way, then it can't possibly be right. So Jesus would say to them, This is why people fall when they follow you, Pharisees, because you teach the traditions of men as though they were the commandments of God. And they're not. Well, the commandments of God are right here. We read them. We can read them. We can look. We can see. What is it that God wants from us? Well, they come to Him. With a problem, with a test. 
And truly, this problem or this issue, as we look at uh, this section of Scripture today, it's something we are still struggle with. We still have a hard time really grasping the concept. Hopefully, Jesus is going to help us a little bit. The Pharisees came to him and tested him and said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Now, here's what they're saying. In essence, they are asking Jesus, Tell us your interpretation of Deuteronomy chapter 24, verses 1 through 4. Because in Deuteronomy chapter 24, Moses gave the the writ of divorce to the children of Israel. And they want to know how that writ is supposed to be followed. So if we're going to understand really what's going on, we have to hold our fingers here and flip over to Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, don't worry, it's it's a fourth book. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. So go all the way to the beginning and then turn right until you see it. If you get to Joshua, stop and turn left. (laughs) You probably beat me there. I'm talking too much and not looking. Deuteronomy chapter 24. Deuteronomy chapter 24. It's what it says. Verse 1. When a man takes a wife and marries her, And it happens that she finds no favor in his eyes because he has found some uncleanness in her. And he writes her a certificate of divorce and puts it in her hand and sends her out of his house. And when she is departed from his house, she goes and becomes another man's wife. If the latter husband detests her, writes her a certificate of divorce, puts it in her hand or sends her out of her house, or the latter husband dies who took her as his wife, The former husband who divorced her must not take her back to be his wife after she has been defiled. For that is an abomination before the Lord, and you shall not bring sin upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. Now people look at this, and for a long time people have been confused about it, and the Pharisees were then. Here's the issue. Jesus said if he looked upon her and saw some uncleanness, and so the, the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, what does some uncleanness mean? I'm defining the uncleanness for us. And the church has, has tried to help that. And I don't want to get ahead of the story. What I want to do is stay right here. In Deuteronomy 24, when we study the scripture, I want you to understand. For every verse in the Bible, there is only one interpretation. It means one thing. There can be multiple applications. Everybody okay with me? One interpretation means what it means, it means what it says, but there are multiple applications when we take that verse. We want to understand this. We want to understand what's going on here. So their question to Jesus is this issue, what is some uncleanness? Now you might say, well, if I do a careful study in the word, I'll just look up that word in other places in the Bible and I'll see what that word means in other places and that'll help me define that word. Guess what? This word is only used in one other place and It is a particular verse that talks about living life in a Jewish settlement in those days. See, they were told to not build their latrines inside the camp, but to go outside the camp, dig a hole, and whenever they went to the bathroom, to bury it, cover it up, and come back into the camp, so that when God walked through the camp, there would not be some uncleanness. It's the only other place that word used. 
But that doesn't really help us all that much, does it? It definitely doesn't clearly define what's going on. So they had several schools of thought, the rabbis. There are two basic rabbis that stuck out, Hillel and Shammai. Now, Hillel, he was a, a conservative guy. He was really strict to the scriptures. But when you read what Hillel says about this, Hillel is the one who said, this means you can divorce your wife for, in our language today, irreconcilable differences. If there's some problem you have with her, whatever it is, for any reason, you can divorce her. That's what Hillel said. His, one of his disciples, a guy named Akiva, he went so far as to say, if you got married and then a little while later you see somebody prettier, you could divorce your wife for the prettier gal. Aren't, ladies, aren't you glad you don't live back then? Man, they were not good to women at all. The societies back then, they, they were, the good news is they were better to women than they were to kids. But Jesus came and upset the apple cart in all those ways. Because he, he would teach that that's not the way that we're supposed to be. Yet we've got a problem with Deuteronomy 24. What's going on? Hillel says, for any old thing, that's what it's about. Shammai said, no, 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 there's only one thing. It has to be something big. So it's only in the case of sexual immorality. The case of sexual immorality, that's the only reason you can give a, a divorce. Traditionally, the church has said, yeah, that's what he's talking about in Deuteronomy 24. Well, in this case, Hillel is right. Kind of shocking, isn't it? What he's talking about in Matthew 24 is a divorce for any reason. Irreconcilable difference. How do I know that? Well, the Bible said that for sexual immorality, if a man committed sexual immorality, what happened to him? He got stoned, not divorced. And the wife was free to marry because she could marry after her husband died. So she would go on and be able to be married. So it's not talking about sexual immorality. Not at the time of Deuteronomy 24. Now, I want you to hold on to this concept because this is how they're trying to trip up Jesus. They're trying to say, hey, look, this is, listen, the book of Ecclesiastes tells us there's nothing new under the sun. We think somehow that, that it's hard to relate the Bible and the Word of God to the 21st century, to the, to the time in which we find ourselves because we're so far advanced from those people. No, they had the same issue with marriage that we do. They had people that would rather live together with one another than be married. They had people who got married and didn't like each other after they got married and they wanted to get a divorce. They had all these things going on just like we have today. Don't believe the lies that say somewhere back then it was all perfect and it's only got messed up recently. That's not true. It's always been with us. The concept has always been an issue. So in Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4, this writ of divorce that that Moses gave unto the people was a permission keep that in mind because that's where their issue begins to fall apart so this is what he's talking about Deuteronomy 24 1 through 4 this is what they're saying and these are the two actual schools of thought now what i want you to hold on to as we consider this is there is such a thing in the bible as a righteous divorce now, a lot of people have a problem with that. How can there be such a thing as a righteous divorce? That can't be possible, can it? 
Well, while you got your, your, your Bible open up to Deuteronomy, turn to your right and keep turning until you come to this little fellow named Jeremiah. Jeremiah, he's got a lot to, to talk to us uh, about this concept. And I just want to share briefly in Jeremiah chapter 3 <clears throat> what the Lord has to say. We just read this section. Jeremiah chapter 3 says, They say, if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again? Would not the land become greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8, Then I saw that for all the causes for which backsliding Israel has committed adultery, I put her away and gave her a certificate of divorce. That's God talking. Yeah, Jeremiah chapter 3 verse 8. God divorced the nation of Israel. He gave her a writ of divorce for sexual immorality. Her sexual immorality was the fact that she was going to all these other gods and serving all these other gods. And so the Lord said, you know what? Because of your adultery, I've given you a, a writ of divorce same exact phrase that we see in matthew so this is not just a simple cut and dry deal it's not as simple as we we are always led to believe when we consider it hopefully by the end of today it will be more more simple but the idea here is that god shows us what a righteous divorce is righteous divorce in this case in the in the case of sexual immorality but what did god say in the beginning of chapter 3 it said he said in deuteronomy you know that it said that if a woman goes to another man she she shouldn't come back to him it defiles the land but the lord says and this is in the case of a righteous divorce return to me come back to me and i'll forgive you and I'll make you my wife again. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, Israel is called the wife of God. Not always faithful. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 24, 1 through 4, we see that the woman was defiled. Why was she defiled? Because Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4 is what's known as an unrighteous divorce. A divorce for irreconcilable differences is not righteous in God's eyes. Jesus is going to declare that in Matthew chapter 19 in just a couple of verses. He's going to say, except for sexual immorality. He's going to give the grounds for what a righteous divorce is about. But prior to that, he wants us to understand. Matthew 24 is permission from God to the nation of Israel. We'll see in a moment because of their hard-heartedness that they could give a certificate of divorce and it causes both parties, a man and a woman, to become defiled. It's sin. It's sin. Now they taught in those days, so you can people were getting divorced like crazy. It was not, it's not new today. At the time, especially in the Hebrew mindset, the men felt like it was their obligation to God to divorce a woman if she was unclean. Fortunately, he never had to turn that flashlight on himself. Because he was so busy looking at what would be unclean about his wife. So that fostered this concept within us. It fosters the concept of self-righteousness. Like I'm better than them or I'm better than him or I'm better than her. And we still have to guard against that kind of a mindset today. This is the question they brought to Jesus. Hey, 
What is it? How is it lawful? Is it lawful for a man to divorce a woman for just any reason? He's, they're asking him to side. Hillel or Shammai? Which way are you going to go? Well, if he goes with Hillel, they're going to continue to, to criticize Jesus on the basis that he, he doesn't stand for anything. He just allows all. If he goes with Shammai, a lot of the people who hang out with Jesus are going to be upset because he hung out with the publicans and the sinners. Remember? Just so you know, the word publicans, that means tax collector. The word sinners, when it's called the sinners, he hung out with the sinners, it's talking about people in the street, prostitutes, the down and out, the defiled, the unclean. That's who Jesus was with. So they're saying, hey, no matter where he goes, he's going to upset or alienate somebody. We're going to be able to find something with which to kill him because that's their ultimate goal. Not whether or not what he says is true. Just whether or not he'll ever give them something that they can kill him for. That's what they're looking for. And they think they've impaled him on the horns of dilemma. And as we look at this, you know, there's a lot of things that come up when we talk about divorce. Don't sweat it. I know right now there are single people going, well, I am not even married. Why did I come today? Just give me time. I'll get to you. We're almost there. But the idea here that Jesus is going to lay out on us is something important that we want to grasp. But as we leave Jeremiah, continue to turn to the right, and you come to the last book of the Old Testament. It's a book called Malachi. And maybe many of you are familiar with this verse, Malachi chapter 2, verse 16. A lot of people like to, to, to talk about this. The Bible lays out for us in chapter 2, verse 16 that... Uh, well, actually, let's back up. We'll back up and get the context. It started at verse 13. This is the second thing you do. You cover the altar of the Lord with tears, with weeping and crying, so that he does not regard your offering anymore. Nor does he receive it with goodwill from your hands. Yet you say, for what reason? Well, because the Lord has been witness between you and the wife of your youth, whom you have dealt with whom you have dealt treacherously. But she is your companion and your wife by covenant. You made a promise. But did he not make them one? Having a, a remnant of the Spirit? And why one? Because God seeks godly offspring. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, and let none of you deal treacherously with the wife of his youth. For the Lord God of Israel says that he hates divorce. For it covers one's garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. Therefore, take heed to your spirit, that you do not deal treacherously. Two things I want you to notice. One, it says God hates divorce, not God hates divorced people. Don't lose sight of that. The second thing is the, the deeper context of chapter 2 is the nation of Israel trading their wives off and marrying the, the wives of foreign gods. Taking on the women of foreign areas that they might worship foreign gods. That the Lord is talking about in this context. That he hates divorce. Why? Because divorce covers his altar with tears. And any of us who have ever been through a divorce can say, guarantee you, it covers the altar with tears. It's never easy. It's always got trouble and conflict that goes with it. So it's definitely something that we want to understand. Where's God at on this? He lets us know. I hate divorce, but he, we need to understand he also gives us the concept of what a righteous divorce looks like. 
But sometimes there is time. So he wants us to be able to grasp that concept today. Then we go back to Matthew chapter 19. And we look at, at this story again. And we see again what these guys have said to Jesus. The Pharisees came to him, testing him, and said, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? And Jesus answered, and he said to them, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? Jesus is going to answer the deeper need. We spend a lot of time talking about divorce. We need to spend more time talking about marriage. And what is marriage? And what marriage is supposed to look like? And how God instituted marriage? There's a big question going across our nation right now. What defines marriage? Well, let me make it simple for you. In the beginning, when there was not a man or a woman, just two, Adam and Eve. By the way, Jesus believes in the creation account because he said, in the beginning, he made them male and female. He's going all the way back to Genesis chapter 2 to discuss what marriage is about. Who instituted marriage? God did. Who was the first father who walked the bride down the aisle? God did. He brought Eve to Adam. He brought her to him. So God is the one who has instituted marriage. Before there was a government, he made the family. We don't see government come on the scene to around chapter 10 of Genesis. But the family comes around chapter 2. So when we look, the first thing he starts with, he says, listen, you go back to the beginning. This is God's intention for marriage. This is God's intention for marriage. He's going to lay out for us four things that I think we really want to hold on to, that we really want to understand when we talk about marriage. The first thing he says, he says, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning, he made them male and female? The first thing he talks about in marriage is there is supposed to be a difference. First sentence about marriage from God, male and female. Not male, male, female, female, male, donkey, nothing crazy. Just simply male and female. He lays out for us this concept, this idea, and his definition of marriage. It's the differences in us that bring us together. And one of the major problems that a lot of people face within their marriage that may bring them to the brink of the D word is the concept that they spend the rest of their life trying to turn the other person into them. Knock it off. You didn't pick them because they were like you. You're irritated because they don't do everything like you do it. But God says it's the differences that bring us together. Male and female, he made them. First thing, this is the definition of marriage. Male and female together, and they're different, and they're supposed to be different. Listen, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul says, Neither is man independent of woman, or woman independent of man. He's saying, listen, you need each other in a marriage. You balance each other out. Nobody wants all of you. Nobody wants all of me. If, if, it, if everything in my life was just the way I wanted to do it, my life would have no fun, no smiling, no laughing. Just shut your mouth, do what I said. 
And then God brought Kathy. (laughs) And now, though the differences between us cause us to bang heads sometimes, I understand the beauty of what God's doing because I'm not okay just the way I am. I need her. She makes me better. She needs me. I make her better. Without me, it would just be all fun and games all the time. So it's the differences. The first thing he tells us about marriage, the first thing he lays out for us, God's definition of marriage, man and woman, and they're supposed to be different. Stop trying to make each other the same. I wish she would just do what I think. Why don't she think like I think? Because you don't think right. (laughs) And she don't think right neither. But when the two of you put your heads together, you got a chance. That's what God wants us to see. That's what he wants us to see in the, in the plan of marriage. The differences between us. Then he goes on to say, not only that, and he said, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The second thing he talks about is the departure from parents. And here's the idea. The departure of parents, guys, is a concept that says you're leaving what had been the most important relationship of your life and now the most important relationship of your wife is, or of your life, is now the relationship with your husband or wife. That's why it says a man will leave his father and mother. That speaks of the most important relationship up until the time of marriage. The family relationship with your mom and dad. By connotation, it also speaks of every relationship below that that is inferior to that relationship. Huh? Well, let me make it simple for you. Uh, you know, when you got married and all them guys you used to go hang out with and get in trouble with? Yeah, your marriage relationship overrules that one now. Oh, but you mean when all my buddies come to me and say, what's wrong with you, man? Why you let this woman decide that you're going to be able to go do this stuff? Well, if you're a smart man, you'll answer because it's me and her till the wheels fall off. All you guys ever do for me is get me arrested. Get me in fights. Get me in problems. Do not be a knucklehead and think that's the most important relationship in your life. My friends are the most important. Then don't get married. Did you hear me? If your friends are the most important thing in your relationship, Jesus is going to come to it in a minute. It's not bad. Don't get married. We got the idea somehow today, well, I'll just get married. If it doesn't work out, what's the big deal? I'll just get divorced and try again. And then I'll get divorced and try again. I'll get divorced and try again. Jesus met that woman at the well, remember? Yeah, you've been married four times and none of them worked out. And now you're living with a guy that's not your husband. Now, does that not seem like the story of today? But it's over 2,000 years ago when Jesus was in Samaria? Because it's the same. People are the same. The struggles we have are the same. The reason the Lord says, for this reason a man will leave his father and mother, he's saying, you're going to leave the most important relationships that you have, and you're going to cling to your wife. That becomes the most important relationship. The idea, the concept of the word cling is the idea of being cemented together. If you took a piece of paper and you glue it to another piece of paper, it is possible to take the two pieces apart again, right? But not without damage. And that's the same thing the Lord's saying here. 
So the second point, the first point he laid out for us, that there's supposed to be differences. The second thing is there's a departure. There's a departure. We're leaving all these other relationships. It doesn't mean I never hang out with my friends. It means the most important relationship is with my wife or my husband. That has to stay. That's got to stay the number one relationship. Beyond mom and dad. And everyone else that would fall below that. That's the second thing he lays out for. That there's a departure. There's a departure. The next thing he tells us. Is that there's a dependency upon each other. The dependency upon each other. You're joined to your wife and the two shall become one flesh. Now there are two brothers that hang out together. But they are not ever called one flesh are they? There are two. They're brother and sister. There's buddies and friends there too two become two or two they stay two there's only one relationship in the entire realm a spiritual realm of almighty god where the lord says the two become one husband and wife they depend on each other don't change each other yes i understand that what you thought those things were going to change in him We got married and I was pretty sure a year or two and he'll be straight. No, listen, if he threw his clothes on the floor before you married him, he will throw his clothes on the floor after you marry him. If he drove like a maniac before you married him, he will drive like a maniac after you marry him. Rusty will straighten that out if he does it in Buell. Otherwise, you got to count on somebody else. The idea is we depend on each other. I know that because of my marriage to my wife, that we've been married for a long time. <laughs> I think it's 25 years. Is it 25 years? 26? You're kidding me. Oh, it's not 26 yet. It's not March. You're cheating. I knew better. Oh, okay. That's how come I'm never right, because I never know if she's rounding up or rounding down. So we've been married 25 years, and I know because of our relationship with each other, we're a better unit than we are individuals. Together, we're a better unit. We depend on each other. We become one flesh. And I want you to understand this. It's not magical. I used to think it was magical. It was a magical thing to happen. That that, that the Lord waved a wand over us when we stood on the altar and we said, I do. And poof, we're one. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says, and the two what? Shall become. That's a process. Begins at the time of marriage. And that process is over when you see Jesus face to face. Until then, there is a becoming one. Now listen, why is this important? Again, all the single people are going, this is dumb, I should have stayed home. He's talking about marriage. Listen, one day you may think, I want to get married. And you got this pie in the sky idea that marriage, everything will be happy and all my problems will cease. If I only get married, it will all go away and everything will be good. Understand God's design for marriage. It's important that you have, that's where Jesus went before he ever talks about divorce. He says, we got to get the marriage thing straight. Because you guys are going into this with the wrong attitude. Your attitude is messed up. You need to have the right attitude. Finally, the last thing he tells us, the last thing he says, 
is that it's permanent. He says in verse 6, So then they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. It's a decision to be committed for life. This is God's design for marriage. What God joined together. It's a decision we make to be committed for life. God's design for marriage. The state of California has no point to make on what marriage is or isn't. The state of Idaho has no point to make. The United States has no point to make. Obama, I don't really care what he thinks. The Bible says this is marriage. The Bible's the one who started the first marriage. It's the one that teaches us how we're supposed to be married, how we live together. It's the only authority. Don't really care what anybody else thinks. This is what the Bible teaches us. And this is Jesus' answer to their question. Don't you love how he answered their question? Can a man divorce a a woman for any reason? Well, don't you remember what it says in the beginning? God made him male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two become one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let not man separate. That was his answer. No, they didn't miss the fact that he, he didn't specifically answer their question. We know that because we look at the very next verse, right? Jesus lays this stuff out to them. So they said, why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce to put her away? Uh, excuse me? Is that what he did? Was that a commandment? No. It was a permission, not a commandment. You see how they had taken it? They had said, this is a tradition. The tradition says that you're, you're commanded to get rid of your wife if she's unclean. Well, why are you not commanded to get rid of a husband if he's unclean? Because that's not the tradition of men. Because men never lump themselves into that tradition. They just lump the woman. Oh, there's something wrong with her. Get rid of her. There's nothing wrong with me. It still happens today. Husbands and wives come sit down in Jackie's office and want to talk. Well, there, she is messed up. Let me tell you, she's messed up. <laughs> Ladies, you're not off the hook either. They go, no, I'm not messed up. He's messed up. We don't have a problem seeing the uncleanness in the other person, do we? Who do we have a hard time seeing the uncleanness in? Ourself. Which is probably where we ought to spend more time. Instead of finding out what's wrong with our spouse. What's wrong with me? What's wrong with me? Where am I unclean? Where am I messed up? Well, they say to him, why then did Moses command us? Jesus is going to straighten them out in verse 8. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so means God's intention for marriage was that there would never be such a thing as divorce. If you want to know, what can I do if I call Jackie and ask him to do a wedding to get him not to do a wedding? I'll straighten it out for you. Call me and say, Jackie, will you do our wedding? As soon as we get done with the lawyer's office, we're doing prenuptials. Will you then do the wedding? Uh, No. What do you mean no? Well, no, I don't have to. Last I checked, still America, I can do what I want. 
I am not going to do a wedding that you are basing on a prenup. I got to protect myself. What if it doesn't work out? Don't get married. If you're worried about it not working out, don't get married. Nobody makes you get married. Don't do it. Stay single. Jesus said, Moses permitted you because of the hardness of your heart. Listen, we're going to talk about that for just a second. What does it mean to have a hard heart? What is it about? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. From Matthew, you're going to turn right. Keep turning right and turn right and turn right. And if you've got tabs, you can just flip your tab. But if you get to James, turn left. But until you get to James, if you get to Revelation, turn left too. Get to Hebrews chapter 3. And he's going to talk about this. Jesus said the reason Moses permitted you is because of your hard heart. What does it mean to have a hard heart? What does it mean? In, in Hebrews chapter 3, uh, Hebrews chapter 3 verse 8, verse 7 actually. Therefore the Holy Spirit says to you, Today if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Here's your first clue. Today, if you will hear his voice, that word for if, literally means since. Since you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. A hardening of your heart occurs when you stop listening to the voice of God. When you stop listening to the voice of God, your heart gets hard. Look it up. Watch what happened to Pharaoh. Watch what happened to the people whose hearts were hardened. What happened to their hearts? They stopped listening to the voice of God. Well, I mean, you know, Jackie, I've never heard the voice of God. If you've heard the word of God read, you've heard the voice of God. This is the voice of God. It's right here. You don't listen to this. You think somehow that there's a loophole to the things that this teaches. You're not listening to the word of God. You're not listening to the voice of God. Your heart is hard. Do not harden your heart. But hear what God is saying to you. In case you, you missed that concept, he says it again in verse 15. While it is also said today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion. Sandwiched between these two phrases in verse 13, he gives us another clue. In verse 13 of chapter 3, he says, But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through what? The deceitfulness of sin deceitfulness of sin what's the deceitfulness of sin man that's so easy the deceitfulness of sin is that your sin is so easy to see on somebody else so easy to see on that person next to you or behind you or that person you heard about it's easy to see that and you assume because you can see that sin in somebody else you must not have that sin it's a primary problem in marriage. It's a primary problem with man. Selfishness slash pride. Same idea, same concept. I don't have that in me, but boy, I could sure see it in them. Do you see how that guy drives? That guy, let me tell you, if you have ever sat behind somebody driving down the road and called them a moron, a lunatic, I can't believe, believe the way this guy is driving. Let me just tell you, we have a phrase for that that you'll recognize. It takes one. Huh. The same way with sin. When I see that sin in somebody else, what I have learned over the years, my sin looks worse on everybody else than it does on me. And I am harsher 
When I see that sin, my sin on somebody else, I'm harsher on them than I am on me. The deceitfulness of sin. The hardness of your heart. Because you won't listen to what God is saying. You won't listen to what the Word of God is saying. You harden your heart and you start to see the uncleanness in her. Right? So back in Matthew 24, Moses said, because of the hardness of your heart, you can divorce for any reason. But how many of us know that when we came to Matthew chapter 5, Jesus gave us the interpretation of the law, which only God can do. And Jesus is going to give us the interpretation here so that we can understand what is righteous divorce? What is a righteous marriage? What is the right concept in these relationships that we're supposed to be a part of? That we're supposed to walk in? Well, listen, he tells us. The first thing he said here was not the fact that that God commanded, but that Moses, because of the hardness of your heart, permitted you. From the beginning it is not so. And... I say to you, remember that phrase. Remember back in Matthew chapter 5, you've heard it said of old that you shall not commit murder. But I say to you, you remember the phrase? If a man is angry at his brother in his heart, he's committed murder in his heart. You've heard it said not commit adultery. But I say to you, if you looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you have committed adultery already. That's Jesus defining for us the the spirit of the law that God gave. Who can define for us what the law means? God. That's why Jesus did it. And here he's going to do the exact same thing. Here's what you heard back in Deuteronomy 24. That was given because of the hardness of the hearts of the people would not listen to God. They were hardened because of their selfishness and their pride. They would not hear the voice of God and they could see the faults in everyone else and not see the faults within themselves. So they were permitted. They were permitted. But it wasn't commanded. And then Jesus said, but I say to you, Whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Now, the concept is in light of Deuteronomy 24, unrighteous divorce. Unrighteous divorce causes both parties to be guilty of adultery. This is about the place where everybody starts freaking out. Well, then what does that mean? How how do I relate that? Well, let me make it simple for you. You are now currently responsible for the knowledge you have. Now you know. What about before? Hmm. The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, without making too light of the issue... If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins except for unlawful divorce. Is that what you're trying to tell me? That somehow that's the unpardonable sin? Divorce is the unpardonable sin now? No. God forgives. God forgives. But watch out for willful disobedience. What do you mean? Well, Paul said in the book of Romans, 
Where sin abounds, grace superabounds. Grace always outweighs our sin. And then Paul said, well, shall we sin that grace would abound? Certainly not. How can we who have died to sin live any longer in it? You now understand God's concept of divorce and marriage. You know what God's looking for in a marriage. That it is permanent. That it is bound together. That there is an exception clause. And one exception clause. That exception clause is sexual immorality. Be careful when you try to define sexual immorality. Sexual immorality is a Greek word, pornea. It means a lot of things. Not just what you initially think of. Sexual immorality, that's it. Sexual immorality is the one thing that Jesus said is the exception clause for divorce that can lead you to a righteous divorce. But just because it's a righteous divorce, don't think that all the other stuff don't come with it. That's all the other stuff does. Every birthday for your children is both happy and sad. Why is happy because one of the parents is there, sad because one of them isn't. Just part of the tears that are left on the altar. But Paul said, listen, not that I have already apprehended. I press on. There's one thing I do. What did he say it was? Forgetting those things which lie behind. Now, those of us who are sitting in this room who are left scarred and tattered from divorce, listen. Is there anything you can do today about your past? No. Can't do nothing about it. Is there something you can do today about your future? Yeah. Forgetting those things which lie behind, that means I don't live in the bad decisions I have already made. I understand... That I repent of those things and God forgives me. Because that's a loving God that he is. Remember last week we talked about the guy who owed 10 million and the other guy who owed, you know, a few hundred. And, and the king forgave the one that owed 10 million. He also expected the one that only owed a few hundred to what? Also forgive. Now you understand why you owe such a great debt. Because if you're not guilty of divorce in your past, you're probably guilty of sexual immorality in your past. And God is willing to forgive you of that too. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 4 says, A wedding bed is honorable among all and undefilable. But, it goes on to say, the adulterer and the sexually immoral God will judge. By the way, that's New Testament. We read Leviticus, what happened to the sexually immoral or the adulterer. They were to be stoned, put to death. Because if you put, if listen, I don't want you guys to start looking at God's law like there's something wrong with it. If we perfectly obeyed God's law, do you know what there would be none of? Every wrong thing in the world wouldn't exist. Every imaginable disease that mankind struggles with would be gone. None of those things would be here. God's law is good. It's not easy. And it is 
Justice is harsh. But God has extended to us his grace. His willingness to forgive. His willingness to reach out to us and say, listen, I will forgive you. Remember what he said in Jeremiah chapter 3. The same chapter God said, I'm going to divorce you because of your adultery. He said, but if you turn to me, return to me. He called the prophet by the name of Hosea and he told that prophet, go out and marry a prostitute. You're gonna, your life is going to be a picture, an example. And he told Hosea, Hosea went and married and he names his kids. Some of his kids, I can't remember all the names, but one of them is not my son, is the name of his, his child. <clears throat> That's never a good name to pick for your son, by the way. And there's all this struggle going on with Hosea and, and she leaves and she won't stay with him and she's unfaithful over and over and over. And then by about chapter 3 of Hosea, Hosea, the Lord says to Hosea, go get her. She's all used up. Nobody wants her now. Go get her. And Hosea went and got her. And then God said, Hosea, I want you to realize your entire life that you've lived out here, I want you to realize you are me. And Gomer, your wife, is you. Now chew on that for a minute. Hosea, you are an example of me. And Gomer is an example of you. And the rest of the nation of Israel. See, God is always willing to extend and open his arms. If we will turn, repent, return to him. His forgiveness is always there. His arms are always outstretched. Come home. Come home. And never, there's never, you're, you do not have the ability to out God's grace. Do you understand that? And that's included in divorce. It's impossible to out God's grace. God's ability to love you. God's ability to welcome you in. God wants us to understand that divorce is a harsh thing. So how do we stay out of it? Have a better understanding of what God's marriage is all about. Learn to walk hearing him. Don't let your heart grow hard. Stop thinking that all the problems in your marriage is your husband or your wife. And realize it takes two to make a marriage. It takes two to break one. Allow God to do a perfect work in you. Well, the disciples hear this teaching of Jesus, and they are thinking just like a lot of people in here are thinking today. If that's really what marriage is all about, then why in the world would I want to get married? That is what marriage is all about. I'm not sure what you think it's supposed to be about. It's obvious who the disciples sided with, isn't it? Hey, if I don't like her, I should be able to toss her out and get another one. But the Lord says, no. It's lifetime. It's a commitment. It's not something we go into lightly. It's not something that we just think, well, if it doesn't work, you know, we just try again. We'll just start over. I'll find somebody else. Listen, after being married 25 years, Kathy does not want to try to train another husband. <laughs> Put all that time in and make it work. Make it happen. That's what the disciples say. It's better not to marry. Look, that's what they said. His disciples said to him, If such is the case of a man with his wife, it's better not to marry. 
And Jesus responds to them, yeah. He said, not everyone can accept this saying. Not everyone can understand it, but it doesn't change the commitment that's involved. Not everyone can understand, but it doesn't change the commitment that is involved. But only those to whom it has been given. Do you know that the ability to be married or the ability to be single is a gift given from God? That's what the Bible tells in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 7. It's a gift given from God, either to be married, to be able to be married, or to be able to be single. It's a gift God gives. The ability to accomplish it is what God gives us. So he says to them in verse 12, Well, there are eunuchs who are born thus from their mother's womb. Now, just so you kind of understand what's going on, don't trip over the word eunuch. You can put the word single there. That's the concept. There are people who are born to be single. They're born not to be married. They don't have a problem. They don't struggle with a strong sexual desire. Paul says if you struggle with a strong sexual desire, it's better to marry than burn with passion. That's a sign that God hasn't given you the gift of being single. But, he says, some are born that way. He goes on to say, some are made that way by men. Well, let's think about it. There's sometimes, either through accident or by some type of surgical procedure at the time of Christ, if you were going to work in the king's harem, you were uh, fixed. Make sure you didn't mess around outside of your yard. You stayed in your yard. No more going outside. No more running around. The king wanted to be able to trust you with, uh, with his harem. So he, you were made so that there was not any possibility of that happening. So this is what he says. Some people are made that way. Sometimes that happens by the act of a king, another person, an accident. A lot of things can bring that about. But there are people who that occurs by the act of man. And then the third thing, look at the third thing. And there are some made eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. There are some who choose that their level of commitment will not allow them to be married. It's not saying that that's more spiritual or less. The concept at this time was if you weren't getting married, you were less spiritual. Jesus is saying, listen, some people for the kingdom of heaven won't get married. They're going to make a commitment to serve the Lord and they just won't have time for it. They're going to be focused. They're going to be out in the mission field. There's a, a one man that I, that I knew. He, he actually is married now. Uh, but at the time when he was serving in the mission field, he went places you can't even imagine. Because he didn't have nobody to hold him back. Nobody to tell him it was a crazy idea. No special organization that he wanted to answer to. So he just went where he wanted to go. He went into the, the mountains of Tibet. He's met with the Dalai Lamas right and left sat inside of their temples, opened up before them the Word of God, sat and done Bible studies at their feet. Now, I'm not talking about in Hollywood when he wants to show up and people want to go, ooh, the Dalai Lama. No, I'm talking about he went there. Walking through the snow, Tibet, climbing the top of the mountains. God used him in a mighty way because he was so focused on what he was going to do for the Lord. One day, he's out there serving the Lord and he looked beside him and there was a woman. She was serving next to him. And he said, I think that's my wife. And she said, I think that's my husband. 
And now they're married doing it together. Being committed to the Lord. The concept is what Jesus is saying. Listen, Paul said it like this. Listen, if you're single, don't make your whole life's existence, how do I get married? If you're married, don't make your whole life's existence, how do I get single? Learn to bloom where you're planted. If you're in Christ and you're married, don't seek to be loosed. Seek to honor the Lord in your, in your marriage. If you're single, don't seek to be wed. Just seek to honor the Lord where you're at. God will bring that person. You don't have to make it happen. You just need to let it happen. Well, it is not happening in my time frame. Yeah, sorry. That's not in the Bible anywhere. That things will happen according to your time schedule. No, they won't. They'll happen according to God's and it'll be better. It'll be better because it is God's plan. So he says, it's okay to be single. Some will be born that way. Some it'll happen to them. Some will make the choice. It's okay. But he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. This is what God said. God said this is the, the delineation for marriage. This is what marriage is supposed to look like. It's a commitment. If that's a struggle for you, you can't imagine having to make such a commitment, don't get married. Simple. He who he who Sometimes English is my second language. He who is able to accept it, accept it. If you're not able to accept it, it doesn't say nothing about you. If you're not able to accept it, get fixed. Because this is what God's word says. That's God's plan. And it's a good one. And if you think right now I'm, I'm trapped in a marriage or a relationship that stinks, that's not God's plan for you. God's plan for you is that that marriage will be everything it can be in Christ. Surrender to him and do it his way. If you're single and you're thinking, man, my life is miserable, I'm single. Make your focus the Lord Jesus Christ and, and see what it is that God has for you right now. And allow God to do that work. Don't seek to, to bind it up or tie it up some other way. And then as we look, understand, please understand. Did you hear what Hebrews 13, 4 said? The sexually immoral and the adulterer God will judge. So get right. How do I get right? Well, if you find yourself in, a, in that situation as an adulterer based on what God's word says, God doesn't want you to break another covenant to be made right. What's he want you to do? He wants you to repent. Ask for forgiveness and be forgiven. If you're living in a relationship that is... Uh, living as husband and wife without the benefit of marriage, God wants you to knock it off. It's not okay. Sexually immoral, adulterer, God will judge. I don't want to be in that line. Is that really the line you want to be in? I want to stand in the line that God judges. I want to stand in the line that God forgives. What do I need to experience that forgiveness? All I got to do is ask. But the key principle in that is repentance, right? Stop, acknowledge, 
what I have been, where I have been, what I have done was sin. Forgive me and change. Change my direction. And allow God's blessing to come. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we just thank you so much for an opportunity to study your word. And truly, your word is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God, I pray that we would just be able to grasp what you lay out for us. Lord, the understanding that just because somewhere in my past there's a divorce does not mean I am lost from the family of God. But now I understand your way. I understand what you're calling me to. So I can repent ask for your forgiveness, and make the relationship I'm a part of now be one that rightly represents you. God, I pray that if maybe I'm uh, looking to, forward to a time of marriage. I think, uh, I think that the Lord's called me to that, and I'm wondering. There's no, it's, it's a great time right now, Lord, for us to pray for our future spouse. It's a great time right now for me to pray that my attitude would be right and that I would recognize the one that you are bringing to me as my husband or wife. And that I would go into my marriage relationship understanding this is what God says of marriage. This is how marriage is supposed to be. And I want to honor him. He's the one who designed it. He knows how it should work. I don't, want, I don't want to have a hard heart, God. I don't want to turn a deaf ear. I don't want to say, you know, the Bible doesn't really have anything to say for us today. Today, relationships are different. No, they're the same as they were then. Same issues. Same struggles. Same hard-heartedness. May we, Lord, as your people say, God, I, I want to live your way. I want to make this... Your word for my life. And walk in obedience to what you have laid out for us today. God, I thank you that Jesus didn't alienate anybody on, that, on the day that he gave these answers to the Pharisees. He said, you want to know the, the true question about divorce? Honor your marriage. Understand what your marriage is about. Commit yourself to your marriage. Go into it with your eyes open. Don't allow hard-heartedness to rip you off. And experience the truth that God says, my mercy is new every day. I am forgiven. And it will guard me against an attitude of selfishness and pride when I realize, here I stand before God, a man guilty. I am guilty. I am guilty of sexual immorality, adultery, and I need forgiveness. I need to focus on my uncleanness and allowing God to wash it and make me clean. Lord, I pray that you would do a perfect work in our lives and hearts as we just want you to be so evident in our walk in our day to day life Lord that we truly are those who follow your teachings and enter into your kingdom 
God, I pray that you would help us just grasp the understanding, the teaching, Lord, our eyes would be open and our hearts would receive. And ultimately, God, that you would be glorified in it and through it as we lay it out before you in Jesus' name. Amen. As the worship team is coming up, I'd like to invite any of the the prayer counselors that are with us this morning, if they would just spread themselves around the room. If you're struggling with something or some of the things that we talked about today and you need a time of prayer, I want to encourage you to come up. They'd be happy to pray with you and help you in any way that they can. If you have questions for me, I'll be available after. So you feel free to come up and ask. Uh, God bless you guys and go in peace.